0: A world of difference. You're with NITV Radio on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Kamaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea. From fresh water to salt water. Yuridamurang, hello. I'm your host, Lawana Grant, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday, the 31st of January. Coming up on today's show, NITV Radio chats with recipient of Creative Australia's Flourished Grant, Nathan Maguire, a powerhouse in the fashion industry as a model, founder of Mob In Fashion, and creator of new fashion label Solid Ochre. And writer, director, actor and producer Leah Purcell sits down with NITV's Bronte Charles to chat about her recent film The Drover's Wife. And we share a few stories from our NITV news team. All these stories are more coming to you after the latest news.
1: Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament.
2: The native title.
0: walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, two Aboriginal children stranded in the UK without passports to be immediately returned home. Federal government announces partnership with South Australia to build homes in Adelaide for Aboriginal elders. And U.S. President Joe Biden holds Iran responsible for deadly attack on U.S. troops. A national peak body for Aboriginal and Torres strait Islander children is advocating for two Aboriginal children stranded in the UK without passports to be immediately returned home a 14 year old boy and a 15 year old girl who traveled to the UK with their British foster parents in 2019 have become stuck there since the pandemic lockdown while courts decide their guardianship the complex and long-running case involves two kids who have been in the care of the New south Wales minister for Communities and Justice since they were removed from their Wiradjuri mother in 2010. In December 2017, the children travelled to the UK with their foster parents but have remained in the UK since the pandemic travel conditions. A New South Wales Department of Community and Justice spokeswoman says the department is working to resolve the situation as quickly as possible. The federal government has announced it is partnering with South Australia to build 40 culturally appropriate homes in Adelaide for Aboriginal elders. The village is set to be constructed at Warra Paringa, a culturally significant site for Ghana people, with a $3 million grant from the National Housing Infrastructure Facility. Senior Ghana woman and Ghana Yorta board member Mitzi Nam says the housing crisis disproportionately affects First Nations people
1: our elders are our priority they're uh, they're the ones that that we take care of and it's nice to see that they'll be taken care of in the mainstream as well um and given culturally appropriate comfortable uh place to live uh without having to have you know three other generations living with them and as i said i'd like
0: you know this uh, to be a start of the bigger picture U.S. President Joe Biden says he has decided how to respond to a drone attack that killed U.S. service members in Jordan but did not elaborate. He says Iran is complicit to the drone attack that killed the three American service members and injured 34 others.
1: I do hold respons- responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for.
0: Mr. Biden has been weighing his options and the expectation has been there will be retaliatory strikes, but the timing of the response has been unclear. Meantime, Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder acknowledges there are still questions to be answered when it comes to the drone attack that killed three Americans in Jordan.
3: In terms of additional details
0: about the drone attack itself, we know there are still many questions to include how the one-way attack drone could have penetrated the facility's air defenses its point of origin, and which specific Iranian proxy group is responsible. I can tell you that U.S. Central Command is continuing to look into all those important questions and that we'll keep you updated as new information becomes available, as we are able to. What we do know is that Iran-backed militias are
3: responsible for these continued attacks on U.S. forces and that we will respond at a time and manner of our choosing.
0: The weekend drone strike on a U.S. base in Jordan near the Syrian border also wounded more than 40 others. The full extent of southeast Queensland flooding damage may soon be revealed with rain finally set to ease. Thousands lost power, more than 20 schools were closed, roads were cut and 39 swift water rescues were completed as severe weather lashed the area yesterday. Some of the worst hit were north of Brisbane in the Moreton Bay area and Sunshine Coast, while the Lockyer Valley further west was also inundated. Steve Smith, the Queensland Fire and Emergency Services Coordinator, has expressed his frustration on Sunrise at those who did not heed safety advice. Oh, look, it continues to surprise us um, how many people get themselves in those difficulties. So um, we continue to provide the message, if it's flooded, forget it, but it continues to happen. So it does create a bit of frustration, um, but in the large part, most people do the right thing and are, are heeding that message and staying informed and doing the right thing and, and, and supporting us in our work. The federal and Western Australian governments are looking for a quarantine facility to shelter thousands of sheep and cattle stranded in hot conditions on board a ship for almost a month. Around 16,500 animals are packed onto the livestock carrier. The federal government reportedly ordered the ship to return from its route to the Middle East 25 days ago due to security concerns in the region. Since then, it has been on a cruise to nowhere and returned to Australian waters in recent days. The ship is now docked in Fremantle Port. A Sydney vet credited with saving a young woman's life after a shark attack says help from neighbours helped prevent a fatal outcome. 29-year-old Lauren O'Neill was badly wounded after being bitten on the leg while swimming near a jetty at Elizabeth Bay in the city's eastern suburbs at dusk on Monday. Veterinary doctor Fiona Cargo, who rushed to her aid after hearing her calls for help, told Channel 10 the victim got help from everyone.
4: Neighbours had already started to render first aid to her. We had quite a few people that were so helpful. Um, people were throwing
0: down towels and blankets to keep her warm. Yeah, I just focused on what I had to do, which was to stem the blood flow and um, bandage the leg as best I can with what I had and then... From there, my neighbours were amazing. Everyone just kept talking to her and reassuring her until the paramedics arrived. The Health Minister, Mark Butler, says the new measures on vape bans are set to take effect from the 1st of March. The measures to be announced in the next session of Parliament include a ban on the sale and supply of vaporisers and imposing penalties on vaporiser stores, convenience stores and other commercial entities involved in the sale and supply of the product. Mr Butler also announced that the first four weeks of the vaporiser ban in Australia have brought significant results, with the Australian Border Force managing to seize a quarter of a million disposable vaporisers. The measures also aim to crack down on organised crime as the vaporiser market has been relentlessly controlled by these groups. Mr Butler says the work has only just begun.
5: This is effectively a market that acts as an ATM for organised criminals to fund their other criminal activities like drug trafficking, sex trafficking and more. And we're equally determined to choke off that source of funding to those criminal gangs for those criminal activities. So we know there's much more to do.
0: And in tennis, CEO of Tennis Australia, Craig Tilley, is promising to keep splashing money into the Australian Open to ensure it remains the crown jewel on the nation's annual sporting calendar. Aware of threats from Saudi Arabia and China, Tennis Australia has extended its contract with the Victorian government to ensure Melbourne Park continues hosting the official branded Grand Slam of Asia-Pacific until at least 2046. The Open now runs for 15 days in January, plus its precursor qualifying tournament has become a billion-dollar event, extending far beyond tennis. This month's Open attracted a Grand Slam record 1.1 million fans and generates around half a billion dollars into Victoria each year. And now for a look at today's weather. Broome, partly cloudy, 34. Perth, sunny, 38. Adelaide, partly cloudy, 25. Melbourne, cloudy, 22. Hobart, partly cloudy, 23. Aubrey-Wodonga, sunny, 34. Canberra, a possible shower, 27. Wollongong, a shower or two, 25. Sydney, showers, 28. Newcastle, a late possible shower, 31. Brisbane, a shower or two, 30. Townsville showers 34, Cairns a possible shower 35, Alice Springs windy sunny 39, Darwin a shower or two and possible storm 32 and the Torres Strait Islands a shower or two and 31. And that is NITV Radio News.
1: Your Conversation, NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Solana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio chats with recipient of Creative Australia's Flourish Grant, Nathan Maguire, a powerhouse in the fashion industry as a model founder of Mob in Fashion and creator of new fashion label Solid Ochre. And writer, director, actor and producer Leah Purcell sits down with NITV's Bronte Charles to chat about her recent film, The Drover's Wife. But first, here are a few top stories from our NITV news team. There's been a significant development at the inquest into the death of Dungadi teenager Jai Wright in Sydney. The coroner has suspended the inquest and referred the matter directly to the Department of Public Prosecutions. The 16-year-old died after the trail bike he was riding collided with an unmarked police vehicle in Sydney's inner suburbs. Our reporter Emma Kellaway has more.
1: On the second day of the inquest into the death of Dunguddy teenager Jai Wright, State Coroner Teresa O'Sullivan today halted the probe, referring the matter to the Department of Public Prosecutions to consider whether a criminal charge should be laid. Sergeant Benedict Bryant was the police officer behind the wheel of the unmarked police car involved in the collision that ended Jai's life. It is expected that the Director of Public Prosecutions will decide if criminal charges should be laid against him. Jai Wright's family has welcomed today's decision and in a statement said, We need to know the truth so that we can live our lives and move forward. This referral has given us a lot of hope. We have faith that we will get justice for Jai. Jai Wright suffered critical head injuries when he collided with Sergeant Bryant's unmarked police car, throwing him from a trail bike in inner city Sydney on February 19, 2022. He died a day later at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. The coroner was previously told the trail bike Jai was riding was stolen along with two other cars on the day of the collision. The inquest was also told police were ordered not to pursue the suspects. The Dunguddy family packed the courtroom for today's decision and will now have an anxious wait to head as they enter the next phase of their two-year quest for answers. Emma Kellaway, NITV News.
0: More than a dozen people have been rescued from floodwaters in Queensland with much of the state battered by wild weather. The threat has now moved to the state's southeast, where towns have been inundated amid warnings there's more rain on the way.
3: The town of Laidley in the Lockyer Valley... Flooded, Homes inundated and cut off after heavy rainfall last night.
5: We're out of power now and we're just waiting for, to
1: see what happens next, um, just watch and wait.
3: A wide area of south Queensland from Bundaberg in the north to Brisbane and Toowoomba is affected. 13 swift water rescues were conducted in the Moreton Bay, Somerset, Lockyer Valley and Darling Downs regions overnight.
2: In terms of this more intense rainfall in the southeast, we are expecting that to continue today and into tomorrow. However, we are expecting that to start easing from tomorrow. So, um, moving on to the rest of the week, we're likely to see an easing trend in that rainfall, but definitely likely to see more severe weather warnings current and issued in the next 24 hours.
3: The weather system is related to extropical cyclone Kiralee, which is still causing flooding in central Queensland. The Prime Minister in Townsville today reassuring those affected.
2: We're constantly putting in uh, federal funding into this region and even uh, with the incidents that occurred over the weekend, we're providing support.
3: Communities under threat with more rain to come. Dan Rennie, NITV News.
0: The Tamworth Country Music Festival wrapped up over the weekend, showcasing some of our best and brightest First Nations artists. More than 300,000 people were expected to attend the festival, many of them finding their way to the stage dedicated to our mob's established and emerging stars.
3: It was a blackout on the Fan Zone stage, placing culture and mob front and centre. The Cultural Showcase is now a regular fixture in the country music capital. But it hasn't always been the case. I've seen a change. Uh, Once upon a time you wouldn't see any um, Aboriginal uh, performers uh, performing anywhere really. A testament to the rich history of music that's long been a part of Aboriginal culture. Some of the new talent hitting the stage, ecstatic to be a part of an all Indigenous lineup.
6: Being a proud Kamilaroi woman, being able to share my stories and a part of the cultural showcase means the world to me. Bounce back, bounce
3: back. Having First Nations idols to look up to, like proud Camillaroy artist Lauren Ryan, says your country music dreams can come true.
2: She, you know, won star maker and stuff, and it was just a really big inspiration to show that
4: if she can do it, I can do it too. On
3: a family band, Castle Ray Connection remembering those who came before is just as important as looking ahead
0: As a teacher of them and their father I always mention the old fellas, You have got many West, Roger Knox uh, Mopping the Dropouts um, yeah, trying to think of them um, Johnny Huckle, all of them all, a lot of them, they're all the boys I make sure that my boys know the old people before them
3: And as the dust settles and the boots are packed away, the artists and crowds head home to prepare to do it all again next year Dan Renning, NITV News. Mm -hmm.
0: Welcome back, you're listening to NITV Radio. Next up, NITV Radio's Nari Pakai talks with the recipient of Creative Australia's Flourish Grant, Nathan Maguire. Nathan is a powerhouse in the fashion industry as a model, founder of Mob in Fashion, and creator of new fashion label Solid Ochre. Nathan shares a little more of how Creative Australia's Flourish Grant has helped him support has helped support him, sorry, with his upcoming capsule collection, Walking the Runway at Melbourne Fashion Festival in March, and his goal is to uplift mob in the industry.
5: First Nations talent in fashion, music and literature is seeing significant support from Creative Australia. With opportunities in funding, grants and studio spaces, creative artisans are pushing the boundaries. Nathan Maguire is a leading force in the fashion industry who has paved the way through fashion as a model, working with international brands such as Calvin Klein and Louis Vuitton. He's also the founder of Mob in Fashion and the recipient of the Flourish grant provided by Creative Australia. Welcome and thank you for coming on NITV radio today.
6: Oh, thanks for having me. I love talking to NITV. Um, Hi, everyone. My name's Nathan McGuire. I'm a proud Wajak Noongar man from Boroughly, Perth, but currently living in Nam. And I'm a model and the founder of Melbourne Fashion.
5: So speaking of fashion, the Melbourne Fashion Festival is coming up in over February and the March months, and you Mm. have a capsule collection coming up. Can you tell us more about what that's going to look like?
6: Yeah, so I've launched, um, well, I'm starting to launch my own brand called Solid Oka, and that collection, that capsule collection Features a collaboration I've done with Denim Smith, um, which is a denim brand based out of Melbourne, and they're all Melbourne-made denim. And so we've decided to do a collaboration between my brand and their brand. And that's what the Creative Australia Flourish Grant has gone to support. Um, it's basically the manufacturing of Australian-made products, but you know it's also supporting Aboriginal-owned um, business, which is... Um, which, which I operate. So, you know, there's, um, it's a really exciting time for First Nations fashion. We're, we're a couple of years into, you know, this being a big sector um, in the industry and we're looking to really refine what it looks like for our mob and, you know, Solid Oka and what I do. Um, having my experience is kind of like a really exciting insight into the direction I can take my brand and yeah we're debuting our collection at Melbourne Fashion Festival with the emerging and Fashion show so amongst having my own brand and being the founder of and Fashion we also have a runway show which will um, feature eight First Nation designers.
5: You're the founder of uh, mob in fashion. And we've talked about that a little bit, but I just wanted you to please expand a little more on what that means, what that looks like. Are you doing designing? Are you connecting with new talent like models or are you with the, uh, connecting with uh, people in the fashion industry? What does mob in fashion look like?
6: Yeah, so Mob in Fashion is a program I created with the Melbourne Fashion Festival back in um, 2022. And basically, the festival came to me to go, we would love to start something that engages First Nations design and creatives, but we don't know how to approach that. Would you create something? So um, over a couple of brainstorming sessions, I came up with the idea of Mob in Fashion. And meant that I was looking at my own experience as a model going through the industry, industry, navigating it with not many other First Nations people in the room by my side. I was always the only Aboriginal person in the room. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to get creatives access to industry events like the Melbourne Fashion Festival and they can upskill, hone in on their craft and, you know, with fashion, you don't have to just be a model or a designer. There's so many pathways you can take to form careers that have longevity and have impact on uh, the fashion industry and our community. So uh, creating mob in Fashion was more focused on the the behind-the-scenes roles. So photographers, videographers, hair and makeup, um, journalism, social media, all the production, all those parts that go into building... Either a runway show, they build up photo shoots, they build up campaigns and editorials. So those those jobs and those careers are so important, and to add First Nation faces and um, you know people to those roles only enriches our space and brings more mob in. So that was the direction I decided to take with Mob in Fashionist to focus on how do you build meaningful opportunities and how do you have long lasting careers um, in the fashion space other than being a model which sometimes can be short-lived or as a designer can be short-lived as well and uh, that's what i saw as important to increase the authentic representation of um, our industry and how it includes mob and talks about mob is by actually having the other people in the room so mob in fashion is basically yeah we we look after job placements and so we do a bit of everything you know we've got we've got our runway shows as well, and then we work on separate projects outside of um, that sit within fashion but are outside of a fashion week or a photo shoot.
5: So you can kind of say that working in the industry, you've kind of created uh, a black industry within it to be able to support Indigenous creatives in every step.
6: Yeah, I really see in fashion as like a bouncing board for the the um, broader industry. A lot of brands or creatives that are non-Indigenous come to us and how they see how to engage in First Nations creatives or whether they need advice for something. Um and it's a really it's a culturally safe space for mob to like ask questions, but through my experience and my team's experience um for for a couple of decades now we've got um you know there's an industry standard that needs to be met as well. so if you're new to the game, how do you access that information of how how would I approach an agent to to hire a model that I would like to photograph? Or how do I lend clothing from a brand? You know, what's the process there? And through in Fashion, we teach you how to be able to do that, how to navigate the industry um, and pretty much code switch around the industry so you're able to engage um, on that industry level and be taken seriously as a creative and not. Like to avoid tokenism, essentially, as well. You know, that's a skill that we all need to build on. And Mob and Fashion really tries to focus on those skills of how to navigate the industry.
5: Mm, I can see how you won an award for that. That sounds like a huge <laughs> piece of the puzzle in the fashion industry. You're currently in the process of also creating your own fashion label with Solid Ochre. What do you have planned?
6: Yeah, so Solid Oka is uh, a brand I've been working on for a couple of years, um, and it's basically influenced, well, it's in, I always say it's inspired by country and culture. So as a Wajak Noongar man um, growing up in um, Borulu Perth, I've, you know, growing up amongst a community, there's things that I look back and reflect on and go, oh, that was as an adult now and able to design, I'm able to call upon those things, whether it's stuff that you know my dad and my family had done um, with dances or artwork or um, places that we would visit um, that are significant to our families. you know, There was always elements that inspired me, but I didn't know where to channel that inspiration. And Solid Oak has become the playground for me to be able to express that culture through fashion um that's what's really exciting about you know evolving as someone in fashion is I'm able to go from modeling into creating mob in fashion and now um into owning my own brand and using my culture to influence and um keep turning that creative wheel for myself is um really exciting it's something that I, as I'm, everything else in fashion seems to be so serious for me. So um, Solid Oak has become my enjoyment and creative outlet, which I get to have a lot of fun with and flex. But because of the knowledge I've gained over the years, I'm able to really find and curate a specific lane for myself. At the moment we're more targeted towards menswear, but that's not um, the future of the brand. I see it being for everybody. And for now, while I, whilst I'm learning and growing, menswear seems to be the focus and try and use yeah different parts of art or country that influence the clothing. It's hard to explain because it's, it's a very visual thing, of course, but I'm having my debut collection at the Melbourne Fashion Festival through the emerging Mobbin Fashion Show on Thursday the 7th of March.
5: It sounds year. exciting and I hope people are able to see it. If people are able to uh, find it, hopefully it'll be broadcasted, but if not, where can people find you?
6: Yeah, so you can follow me personally at, uh, on Instagram at nathan.maguire. Um you can follow Mob in Fashion at, at @mobinfashion and solid ochre you can follow at solid Oka. we have our emerging mob in fashion show at the melbourne fashion festival on thursday the 7th of march 2024 and you can get tickets to come and see the show um, on the melbourne fashion festival website and you just look for the links for the emerging mob in fashion show it's one of the premium runway series so it's a big big runway event We've got, it's chock full of First Nations talent and creatives and designers. And um, we've got a really fun theme this year, so I won't give too much away, but if you get your tickets, you'll be able to have a really great experience with um, the festival and mob in fashion.
5: I want to thank you for coming on and speaking with NITV today.
6: Oh, thank you so much. I always love speaking to NITV.
1: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Writer, director, actor and producer Leah Purcell sits down to chat about her recent film The Drover's Wife, which premiered on NITV as part of the network's Always Was, Always Will Be lineup of programming. In this interview, Leah sits down with NITV's Bronte Charles to discuss the importance of truth-telling and what she hopes the audience will take away from her new film.
4: Uh, hello, my name is Leah Purcell. I'm a gold waka waka murray woman. I'm a writer, actor, director, producer, big noter. <laughs> <laughs> Mother, grandmother.
2: So your film, The Drover Wife, it aims to retell a colonial story through a black lens. Why do you think that's important for audiences, particularly right now?
4: Um, well, as a black fella, that's how I tell my yarns and that's the truth of my stories. Um, and I think it's important that not only um, for non-Indigenous people, but our own mob, you know, to remember the, our past and what our, our Elders um, and ancestors went through. I think it's an opportunity for truth-telling. Um, through the arts, you can pull at people's heartstrings or make them really think about things when, it, when, when we can apply that level of our truth in drama. And it's, it's a vehicle that we have access to a very wide and broad audience. So it's important that we be at the helm of these stories and leading the way and letting our voices be heard.
2: Amazing. And truth-telling is such a huge element of this film. How have you portrayed strong black characters to tell the truth?
4: Yeah, well, they're all based on family members. Um, So Yataka in the film is based on my great-grandfather and some of his journey. Molly is a reflection of my mother and 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 aunties you know the strength of women um and 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 also for women on the land whether they're black or white you know um and and for me my mentors told me if if you're going to do something and it's your first make sure you know it intimately and as as an indigenous person I wanted to put um I always put our, you know, my my black stories in those in my in my works because it gives it a, a foundation of truth, and I feel connected to it, and I understand it more. And it's the opportunity to give a voice to my mother and my grandmother who were silenced, and to allow their stories to be told on a very wide platform. is is important to me personally um, because what they went through, the trials and tribulations and the heartache, you know, it's sort of, I'm giving back to them and knowing that their story still lives in me and it's important that we hear them.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. Um, You mentioned that, you know, Molly Johnson reminds you of your mum. How special Mm -hmm. was that to be able to, you know, get that character on on our screens?
4: Yeah, well, Molly Johnson was based on on my mum and my aunts but my mum would read that story to me. So it was a Henry Lawson short story uh, published in 1892. And I don't know why my mum had that book of all his short stories, but um, that was my favourite and she would recite it to me. And it was something that I carried for 40 years before I actually did something with it. But it just stayed with me because I think as a five-year-old, it was the first time I allowed my imagination or my imagination connected to a story uh, because I thought I was that little boy. It was just me and my mum at home. Even though I come from a family of 7 All the, um, a lot younger and the older ones were away. So it was just me and my mum and I saw me and that little boy. Um, in the Henry Lawson story, that little boy was his mother's protector. I was my mum, my mum's protector. Um, you know, we had a wood heap. Uh, my mum could split a log. She taught me to, you know, stack a wood heap. And she would say, stack it properly because we don't want snakes getting in under. So when, I, when, when she would say those things to me in real life and then heard it in the story... I would, uh, I really connected to it and when I was, I was a mongrel sleeper when I was a kid so I'd say, mum, mum, tell me that story mm-hmm. and she'd be half asleep telling it and then I'd stop her because there's a very famous line at the end of it and I'd get up in my bed and go, ma, I will not never go a droven she can now go to bloody sleep, you know <laughs> so, and, and and then as I said before, my mentors were the ones that said, if you're going to do something, do something you know, and it was just, I don't know it put my producer's hat on and I go, how am I going to get bums on seats into cinemas, why don't you take a stra- an Australia an classic, written by one of our famous poets, and you know, so it was an audience of eighty-year-olds to sixteen-year-olds because now Henry Lawson's stories and Benjo Patterson's stories are coming back and being taught. And what I did get was a lot of um, young people coming and saying, "We're so glad that yes, we did our study in the classroom on how Henry Lawson saw it, but when we 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 love the fact that we could come to see your film and get a different perspective." The silent perspective, because other than being the bad guy in Henry Lawson's story, that's all, they were the bad blacks, you know, but it was great to see another perspective and coming at it from that Indigenous um, lens and, and angle. They said, um, it was really, they said, we actually liked that better. <laughs> and I said, that, that, thank you. But, um, but you know, I think you've got to have, it's just two sides, there's two sides to every story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done uh, with Henry, Henry Lawson's. Drover's wife. Yeah,
2: yeah, you've done it amazingly. Thank um, you. I really loved yours and Denny's relationship. I think Malachi's yeah. his name in real life. Can you talk to me about that and maybe how you know maybe being a mother and a grandmother has had made that it felt so real watching you guys. Yeah, tell me a bit more about, about your relationship.
4: Yeah, well, there's a, there's an actual backstory to me in Malachi's relationship because um, when he when when I do my auditions, I always throw a wild card in. It might be because they've got a great jawline, they've got freckles, they've got red hair. So when I was going through stuff, you know, when I got Malachi's photo, there he was, black fellow with red hair and freckles, and he was a dancer. That's what he said he, he was. And I actually was just going to get him to be in the very last scene with all the kids and, and have him be what, that the boy in the end there. Um... He walked in 10 minutes late for the audition. There's all kids from all over Australia there. There's about, I think I had about eight of them. But I wanted to just throw Mal in because because I'm an actor that also looks at the physicality of a person. And him being a dancer, I just wanted to put a bit of pressure on the actors. Um, Within 30 seconds of him walking in the room, I just looked at him and I said, it's him before he even spoke. I said, it's, it's him. Anyway, we are going through an exercise and I sort of said, mate, jump in. But I sort of put him on the spot and I said, you'll be right, off you go. And and yeah, as I said, within 10 seconds of joining that circle, he was in control of it. And I just knew. So then I watched him all the way through. So he was only supposed to stay to lunchtime and go. And I looked over and his mum, they got a flat tyre. She had a little baby. You know, she was a bit frantic. And I said, kid, I don't want you to leave. I want you to actually go and learn these lines And I want you to audition for the lead role. And he looked at his mother and he sort of had a look and I went, don't you want to do it? And he said, yeah, but I just don't want to walk home. I said, mate, I will drive you to the moon and back. And I said to him, go outside and learn those lines. So he's out there kicking the footy, not even looking at the book. And I'm, you know, the poor other kids, I'm sort of trying to give my attention to them. And I'm going, that kid, you know. So anyway, he finally came he was last. He got up, I got him to do it. But he, yeah, he, he reminded me of me when I was younger. I wasn't a very good reader and would have went and kicked the football around too. So away he went. I said, stop, mate. I said, I know who you are. I said, you're not a reader. He said, nah. He said, but if you give me 24 hours, I can smash this out for you, aunt. I said, no. I said, I'll give you a week. I said, but just just parrot me. So I started doing stuff, and he just copied me. I said, yeah, you'll be right. He said, yeah, nah, I will be. Cut to the week. So he walks in, in this private schoolboy outfit, and I went, Who the hell are you? He said, it's me, Malachi. I said, yeah, I know, but what? He said, yeah, I got a scholarship for playing footy. Uh, You know, oh, okay. I said, this is new. And then he's looking at me and I go, do you want to say something? He said, yeah, you know my dad. And I went through my filing cabinet in my head and I went, are you Malcolm's son? And he said yes. So here's the story with Malcolm. His dad was ten year old, ten years old, and I was out. I was on the scout for my first short film, and we needed a little curry fella. And we're cruising up through gleeve and here's this kid with this massive lock of blonde curls on a scooter, ten years old, cruising up. And I went, "That's the kid." And I went, and we pulled up, and he sort of, and he's very street smart. His dad and we pulled. Up. I said, "You don't know me. Don't panic. We're kuris. It's all good." Where do you live? He said, "I'm not that stupid," you know. And I went, "Very good, very good." I said, "But you stay here. You tell me where you live. I want to talk to your mum." And he gave me the address, and away we went. And then about 15 minutes later, he rocked up, and he, and I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a, a short film. It's my first, and I'd like you to be in it." So there you go. So I couldn't give his dad a job when he was 10, but I—it hey, was just sort of fate. I, I could give Malachi a lead role, you know. Um, and yeah, and I, and I nearly fell over and cause I, cause when, when I met Mal, he sort of came, Mal, um, Malcolm, his dad, he sort of was living with us off and on for three years, you know, he he'd come over and hang out and, you know, I was still trying to get the, the show up, but it sort of didn't, didn't get up. But I went, oh my gosh, I said, that's, you know, 12 years ago. Knew your family, and here you are, you know, to to come. So yeah, so he and it was. I did feel like his grandmother, you know, because I knew his dad, and then and 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 because we had that family connection, and
3: you know, he's he's
4: very street smart kid. So we didn't treat him like a kid, you know. We we and and it just he it was a trust with us, and it was a trust with him, and he he absolutely loved. Um, fell in love with my, my my partner, who was one of the producers, and you need that actor producer relationship. And and the other th- the other three kids that were in there, they're all little blackfellas from other parts of Australia, and um, you know there's so many rules to um, working with kids, um, and you can only have them four hours stint and they would come and they wouldn't want to leave and I went you've got to go because you're going to get me in trouble but we want to stay we want to you know and 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 you just you just let you, I trusted them to do I just wanted them to be kids I let them have control I let them collaborate Leah can we do this I said yeah you know because then I got got great results but they were amazing mm. beautiful you know children and I'm so grateful that I found them and they wanted to be in my film.
2: So, yeah, The Drover's Life has been selected as part of NITB's Always Was, Always Will Be content collection this year. What do you want audiences to get out of it?
4: Yeah, well, firstly, I want to say that I'm so honoured to be a part of that list. Um, It's important that our stories have these sort of avenues to be at the forefront and for a wider audience to see you know it's free to air Um, what I want my audiences to take away is first I hope that they think it's a great film I'm an artist I want my work to be liked at least but secondly and I guess the undercurrent is is the truth-telling in the film and that the audiences listen and hear the voice of truth in this story you know, as I said, is based on my great-grandfather and that journey. And you know what? I could sit down with my audiences and one day I might do it. But I could go through nearly every frame of that film and open up a frame and go, there's another film underneath this. There's an element in there about my grandmother. And it's, um, I don't want to give anything away, but um, it's towards the end, and there's a piece of paper that Molly has, and what she does with that piece of paper it represents my grandmother's stolen generation uh, journey herself, and that's what we are as Blackfellas in our storytelling. Our stories are so layered, and they that they are layered for the future because that's our dreaming. Our, our dreaming lives in the future. Our dreaming lives in the past. Our dreaming lives now. So this film will project to the future. It projects back to the past and it sits in our present.
0: And that was Leah Purcell in conversation with NITV's Bronte Charles. And you can catch The Drover's Wife on SBS On Demand and we'll be back with more shortly.
1: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
0: And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories at our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Lawana Grant. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.